Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! is foundational to what we believe, what Christians believe, and what the rest of the Bible talks about. Uh, Genesis uh, is a Greek word, actually, that means origins. So the book of Genesis is the origin story of the Bible, if you want to look at it that way, right? So there is a, a very, very important need to go and understand this book a little bit better. And in it, you're going to find, yes, you're going to find miracles, you're going to find wonder, you're going to find people, places, stories that are all foundational to the Bible. Um, But most importantly, though, there, you're going to meet God. Uh, You're going to have to see and understand God behind everything. Because if you do that with the book of Genesis, you're really going to understand Genesis better. And you're going to understand the trajectory of the Bible much clearer if you can get your mind wrapped around Genesis. So the question I want us to consider, though, in this is uh, this next one here. This, what is God telling us about himself in the creation account? So this is our guiding question for part one. So for the next several weeks, every week I'm going to be asking us to wrestle with this question. Not just what are the details of the creation account, but what does that actually tell us about the creator? Because remember, the creation account in early Genesis is not really about creation itself. It's about who is behind creation. It's about somebody that could be powerful enough to be outside of creation and then just bring it all into existence. I mean, that's like that when you enter that space, that's a weird place to be to say that there was nothing, not even darkness, right? There was just nothing except God. Like, how can you wrap your mind around that? You can't, right? And so again, that's the space that we're trying to step into with God this morning, because I've heard it said, my friend Rico put it, he said, if you can figure out God, that's not really God, you know? Like, if I can be like, oh, I've got God pretty much figured out in this nice little box here, and I just keep him on my shelf, and I talk to him every now and then, like, that's not how God works, right? There should be an element of mystery when we're talking about the creator of the universe. Because it's one thing for me, personally, and I don't know about you, but it's one thing to know, okay, okay, God created everything. I get that. He's powerful enough to do that. Like, something had to get this all going, right? There had to be a, a start somehow outside of creation itself. But to know that God had his eye on you, is really, really powerful because there's a lot of people walking around right now who feel like they're walking through darkness and loneliness and depression, and they feel like they don't have any value, purpose, or meaning. And to know that the, the one that we're going to look at this morning had you in mind, that's verse 27 of chapter 1, that he had us in mind, that the heavens would proclaim and reflect his glory, but that humans would reflect him. That's a big deal. And for us to say, that's who I am, that's going to affect how you see yourself, and it's going to affect how you see other people that you may perceive even as enemies, or even if they perceive you as an enemy. That will change a lot. And again, that's all wrapped up here in these early chapters of Genesis. And one of the most probably famous sayings ever, let there be light. We're going to, we're going to introduce that statement this morning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. But before we get there, again, I want to keep asking this question. What is God saying about himself with this whole let there be light business, right? When he introduces his story, what really is he getting at? And what is he trying to tell us about himself in these early verses? So here's what I'd like to do today. Um, I want to stretch your thinking a little bit. 
I want to push back against assumptions that you have about these verses one way or the other, because some of us have really dug deep on these and have really hardcore assumptions. But I want to ask deeper questions that push us a little further to think. And to do that, I want to take us on a little journey, because for 2,000 years, right, we're not even going to get into Jewish history, but for 2,000 years, Christianity has been wrestling with and struggling with what these early verses mean in Genesis, And so I want to take us down that road a little bit because I want you to see that for a long time it's been very difficult for brilliant Christians to try to figure out what exactly is going on in these early verses. So I want to start with a guy, brilliant thinker, uh, named St. Augustine or St. Augustine from 426 AD. As for these days of creation, it is difficult, perhaps impossible to think, let alone explain in words what they mean. This guy outside of the Apostle Paul, who wrote a a good chunk of the New Testament, is probably one of the most brilliant and prolific Christian writers the world has ever seen. So somebody that is like that level of thinking and that level of capability still is like, you know, man, it's really, really difficult to know precisely what's happening in here. Next, about a thousand years later, John Calvin, uh, you might recognize that name from Calvinism, if you're familiar with that. He says the Holy Spirit had no intention to teach astronomy. So here he is a little bit later in his career, later in his life, and he's looking back and he's realizing that the book that we have, the Bible, Genesis account, is not meant meant to be a textbook on astronomy. So again, it's important how we approach this and what we think these verses are saying. And again, Calvin was brilliant. He developed, because of his teaching, a whole system of theology called Calvinism, like I said, was started. So these guys are brilliant thinkers, and they're wrestling with what these verses say. And so how have Christians dealt with this stuff? Where are some places that they've landed, like, for the last 2,000 years? How have they tried to put this into context? The first one, within about 100 years of Jesus Christ, you had three ideas that were really uh, beginning to grow. One was that creation happened in an instant. So all six days, really, were just in a blink of an eye, and God just gave us the day framework to help us absorb it and understand it. You had the 24-hour days of creation was obviously there. And then you had days equaled really long eras because of verses that come out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, that for God, one day is like a 1,000 years. One, a 1,000 years is like a day, right? Psalms also talk about that. So there's this idea early on. They were like, oh, okay, so for God, time really isn't an issue. So these days must not really be tied to any kind of concrete time. So, again, pretty quickly, the church was really trying to struggle with what do these days actually mean. And it wasn't until about 1500, like the late 1500s, where this guy, Archbishop, also another smart guy, Archbishop Usher, he comes up with this system here, and he says, you know what? The exact date of creation was 4004 B.C., based on a 24-hour creation day. So that's where that today's reckoning, about 6,000-year-old, that's young earth, young universe, kind of solidified, right? Because of the research that he did. So that didn't happen until way later. But on the other side of that, you also have Christians that love Scripture that believe creation happened around 4 billion years ago. So that's a little bit different. You'll notice there's a few years that separate those two, right? (laughs) And in that, and we're not going to get into it this morning, but in that view, you have lots of variants in there. And so we're not going to get into that, but there's lots and lots of variants in there. One of the things that comes out of that is Scripture, again, Scripture-loving followers of Jesus believe that God guided the evolutionary process. Um, I don't. I don't agree with that, but I don't hate people to do. There's people that are way smarter than me that I've read their arguments and their views on that, and I'm like, man, I can't even really begin to argue that. 
But I do believe there's some serious theological problems that do come up that you really do have to address with that model. So I don't really, I don't believe that, but I understand that there's people that absolutely love Jesus and Scripture that do. And so again, you have both sides of this. You have a lot of people for a long time that have been trying to figure out what these verses are talking about. And then you have like named theories for the days, right? You've got the day-age theory. You've got the gap theory, the framework theory, the parallel theory, and the 24-hour day theory. And on and on and on. So, what's my point? For 2,000 years, people have been trying to figure this thing out. So don't expect this morning in 15 minutes that we're going to nail it down. You know what I'm saying? And don't expect just because you've seen some dude on YouTube or you've watched this documentary or, or you've seen this, that, or the other. Don't assume that just because you've heard it, it's true. Don't assume just because you think that it's been a really long time or it's been a really short time. Don't think just because you're in either one of those camps or that you have no idea that that's actually what Scripture is saying, right? Just because you think it doesn't mean that's what it actually means. And that's really, really important for us to step into that. Now, the question then is, well, what do we do? Just throw up our hands? There's all these ideas. I just forget it. I don't know. Like I said, what is this saying about God? What are these early verses that are so foundational, so important? What are they actually saying about God. And what does that mean for you today as you sit here in 2023, right? In a very rational, scientific world, right? Like, what does that say about God and what does that mean for me? And so there's a couple things to, I guess, caution us about. Again, don't die over the details that God may not be talking about in this Genesis account, whatever side of the thing you may be on. Another thing has been helpful for me and I hope will be for you is to stay humble and stay curious. Anything in Scripture, I think that's the approach we should take. Stay humble and stay curious. Because, again, just because you think it doesn't mean that's what it's actually saying. And then I think in life, that's a pretty good... I think we'd be a lot less hateful to each other if we were curious and if we were humble. You know? So as Christians, I think we should be doing that stuff as well. But there's been other battles. And I want to briefly introduce you to one. Because I want you to see that Christianity has had to wrestle with some pretty serious issues as it relates to creation in the universe, not related to just these few verses. And this is telling because I think it's instructive for us how we approach these kinds of things. So let me introduce you to the fixed earth crisis, not to be confused with the flat earth crisis because that's not a crisis because the earth is not flat, just so we're clear, right? It is in fact round, right? The fixed earth crisis though. So here's what I want you to do. In your mind's eye, I want you to take yourself back to a place where we don't know anything about the solar system or the universe. I'm going to read four verses to you, and I want you to think, what would this tell you about the solar system? Because this was a huge crisis. Like, this was a really, really big crisis. So from First Chronicles, the first one. Let all the earth tremble before him. There's that worship component. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Right? Next verse, out of Psalm 104. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. And then, from 1 Samuel, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. And the last one, from Ecclesiastes. The sun, it rises, it goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. What picture of that uh, does that give you of the solar system? Well, there's the earth. There's everything else swirling around it, right? That's a geocentric model. And don't miss this. For years, like thousands of years, this was the view that was just taken for granted by science and religion, right? Science and religion. So in the 1500s, enter Copernicus and his pesky model, the heliocentric theory. 
He's going to enter this in. He's a Christian and he's a scientist. And he says, you know what? This is not an idea that's new to him, but his model really solidified this. And he said, you know what? I don't think we're the center of the universe. <gasps> what do you mean we're not the center of the universe? Are you kidding me right now? You know, and it wasn't perfect. He had some flaws in this, but he introduces this idea into a world where, again, science and religion took this for granted. So what does that mean for good old Copernicus? That means everybody hated his guts. Everybody. He had nobody in his corner, right? Because science and religion were both like, no, bro, we're the center of the universe. And he's like, I don't, know, I don't think we are. I'm looking at the stars and seeing how things work, and I don't think that's how it works. And so Copernicus was on the other side of a lot of people's arguments about these things. But the tricky part is, well, that's what, well, what was Scripture saying then? What was happening there? And John Calvin... John Calvin, for all his brilliance, was one that, of course, absorbed the thinking of the day. So here's what he said about Copernicus. There's talk of a new astrologer who wants to prove that the earth moves and goes around instead of the sky, the sun, and the moon. <laughs> the fool wants to turn the whole art of astronomy upside down, right? So here's this guy. This is the tension that was going on. This was a major battle that was happening. So what was the issue? What was the problem that was going on? The, the scripture was saying something very real and something very true about the nature of the universe that God had created and then about God himself and what he put into place. The problem was that science, Christians, people were misinterpreting this because they were just, well, observationally, I'm looking up and it looks like everything's spinning around us. So it wasn't on scripture. It was on people that were misinterpreting it. So what we've learned through science and observation and all this cool stuff that we can do now is we've learned that, yes, the Earth's orbit is fixed. It is like it is trustworthy because gravity obeys the inverse square law. What's that, Pastor Kyle? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I don't really even care. I just know it's a thing. Right. I do know that the, the moon's effect on the Earth keeps its axis at the point that it should be. I do know that Jupiter and the big monster that it is swirled around the sun, it keeps all the other plan planets on the correct orbital plane. Like, so what do we know from these verses? These verses revealing something very true about God and the solar system and the laws that he put in place, that the earth is firm. It is secure. It is trustworthy. We don't need to worry that we're just going to go spinning off into the atmosphere, right? And then nothingness of space. God is communicating truth to us. And he was always saying that. But we had to adjust how we thought and what we thought that meant. Because here's the focus. Here's my point for this morning I want us to take home. The focus of creation and the creation account isn't just creation. It's what? The creator. And if you get too caught up on the first one, you're going to completely miss what God is saying about himself. I don't think God wants us to know the precise details of how he created the universe. I don't think that we could even understand that. In the beginning, God, he's going to tell you how he did it? No, I don't think so, right? And here's what Paul would say in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, incredibly important verse. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Notice that, his eternal power and his divine nature. That's the purpose. That's what God is saying. I am eternal. I'm powerful. I'm divine. And that's been revealed since the creation of the world. Next, being understood through what he has made. I think if we approach this stuff with humility and understanding, that we're going to get a lot more out of the creation account. We read together this morning Hebrews 11. By faith, we believe that at the command of God, everything came into existence. Like, that's really what we need to know. 
right? That's what we need to know. I can't explain any of this astronomy stuff. Man, I'm so out of my depth with that stuff, but it fascinates me. I love science, but I can't explain any of it, right? And I'm not in a position where I need to, right? That's not my focus. So one more quote from another guy, another scientist and Christian. The Bible shows the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. And of course, that's Galileo, another scientist, another Christian, a guy that further this heliocentric theory because his observations with the telescope, the Bible shows the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. Let's not get too tied up into that. So yes, we are actually going to talk about Genesis 1 this morning. So if you would go to Genesis 1 verse 1, we hit this one pretty hard last week, but just as a reminder, in the beginning, God. Like, that's where we got to start with this account. In the beginning, God. That's impossible to wrap your mind around. There's nothing but God. And that God created the heavens and the earth. That is a statement. That is an introduction. That is like, nobody else can say that about themselves. I can't say, oh, yesterday, Kyle created nothing, right? Nothing. There's nothing that I'm going to create. And it's interesting and instructive. In the Old Testament, that word created there is bara, and it's only used of God in the Old Testament because he is the only one that can create. He's the only one that can bring something out of nothing, right? Creation from nothing. That's God's space. That's where he works, right? That's this kind of stuff that he's able to do. Even science today, they're taking particles that already exist to try to recreate the Big Bang, right? But again, those, cre- those things already exist. And they're just taking what's already there. Only God can take absolutely nothing. And just, again, try to wrap your mind around that and then create. That's who we're talking about in Genesis. Now, the second part of this, second verse, it's like verse one is this, like, this introductory statement. This is who we're talking about. Let me introduce you to the God who created the universe. And now there's this kind of, there's this unformed earth. So there's, this, there's been perhaps some time here between verse one and two. And now God is going to begin to form what ultimately would result in people, in relationship. This is the amazing part about creation. So, now the earth was formless and empty. In Isaiah 34, you see this, these two words used as confusion or emptiness, or some translations, destruction and chaos. So think about the movement of this passage about Genesis 1, from like confusion, wilderness, emptiness, desolation, to order, from darkness to light. Because the other part of this verse... Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. Now, this is not evil because Isaiah 45 says, I form light and create darkness. I don't know how to wrap my mind around somebody creating darkness. But if there's nothing, I guess darkness has to be created too. Again, this is the space that we're entering into with God. Will you let this speak into your soul? Will you say, Holy Spirit, would you show me what you're saying in these early chapters? Because it's going to affect the way that you live if you understand the purpose of these profound words that have been carried out through all of human history, right? I mean, this is like, this is big stuff. 3,500 years, right? We've been wrestling with these verses. Verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, why light first, right? Why not the sun, the moon, and the stars? That's day four. That's confusing. I think God's revealing his glory. He's showing who he is. And the reason I say that, I'm not just winging it, If you look at this next verse here, you see in Psalm 104, he wraps himself in light, right? Chris Tomlin's song we've sung before. As if it were a robe spreading out the sky like a canopy. So he himself is light. John chapter 1, 
Jesus is the light of the world. There's really, really deep, important, amazing, fascinating, wonder-inducing, worship-causing truth in these early verses, right? Because God is God. And then look at this. So first chapter, right? Here we are. Very first chapter of the book. Very, very, very beginning. God says, I'm going to introduce my light into the universe. Why? Because I don't need the sun for life. I'm more powerful than that. How do we know that? How do we know that's maybe what he's saying? Well, Revelation 22, the very last book, very last chapter of the Bible. How does it end? It says of God, night will be no more. Night will not, people will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. Just not going to need it. Why? Because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That is fascinating to me that the very first chapter and the very last chapter are saying the same exact thing. Like my light sustains life in this universe. The sun I've given you for other purposes. And you'll see that in a couple weeks, day four. But God's saying my light is what gives life. That's who I am. That's why it's echoed in Jesus and why he's called the light, right? And, and repeatedly called the light. Because God is saying something about who he is, the nature of his very, very being. Because God said, and it was. That's an amazing thing. And then contemporary cosmologists, of course, today, they're like, oh, when the Big Bang happened, there was this like, really bright, hot flash of light. When God said, let there be light, I bet there was. I bet there was. I bet that was a pretty intense moment. And then in verse 4, where does he go from there? So God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Again, the light's good because it's the presence of God that's revealed. There's a rhythm here that we're about to see in this last verse of darkness and light, darkness and light. And it's not like evil and good. This is not yin and yang. This is God's presence. This is the creative rhythm. This is God bringing order to chaos. This is God bringing light into dark. This is about what he is doing. Because in verse 31 of this chapter, darkness is part of the stuff that's all very good that God has created. And then he ends, and we'll end this morning with verse 5. God called the light day, yom, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, one day. And that's Jewish time. That's how Jews reckon their time, right? Evening first, then day. Um, so, Yom here, I've heard people say, well, every time Yom is used in Genesis, it's about 24 hours. No, as a matter of fact, the very first time it's used, it's only about daylight. And we have, we have no idea what that means because it's not really daylight in the sense of a sun. It's just God's light being revealed. It's this creative rhythm that he's labeled day. There is no, so this has nothing to do with time because, again, the sun's not there. And how do we know that's what the sun did? Well, because he says that on day four, he gives many purposes and he says, and the sun is to determine the course of the day. So day four, at the very least, is when the 24-hour idea was introduced. So see, if we start getting caught up on like, oh, it was this long or it was this short, you're missing the point completely of what's being said here. And you're dying over details that may or may not be in there. If you're trying to argue this crazy length of time or a really, really short amount of time, you're completely missing the point because those details aren't even in there. What is, is the light and glory and power that's being revealed by the one that we worship this morning. By the one that is the very Jesus that would give his life for us. The very one that is the light of the world. So again, remember, and, and I'll talk more about the Yom thing this week on, on our podcast. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about, more about this. And I'm going to talk more about the evening and morning thing. Because that evening and morning phrase in Hebrew is about completeness. It's not about time, it's about completeness. But I'll hit more on that uh, this week. But here's the thing, though. Here's, again, to bring us back to our point. The focus 
of the creation account isn't really creation. It's the creator. And there's movement here that I want us to feel in this passage because it does give meaning and purpose and value to everything in the universe as God is doing this. And to know that he's heading toward creating us, there's meaning and value and purpose in there for you personally and in how you treat one another and how you treat other people. Like this is a huge deal that if we can get our minds wrapped around, it's really going to change the way that we approach who we read about in scripture. It's going to like approach, it's going to change how you approach life and following Jesus and saying that you're a follower. Like, because once that comes out of your mouth, once you identify yourself that way, that's a powerful thing. But here's a question I want to close with. So the creation account isn't just about creation. It's about the creator. What could those verses do for you? To, to really take those seriously. Like to, to take the words of Genesis 1, say 1 through 3, seriously. And in 4 and then into 5. Like if I just take those introductory statements seriously, what does that mean for how you approach God? in your own life, in your own problems, in your own difficulties, in your own unfairness, to know that, because here, look at this. This very God that we're talking about experienced a lifetime of unfairness and difficulty and abandon. Right? This same God. So if you start to make these connections, man, the power of what Jesus actually did for you, that just gets exponentially bigger. To know that Jesus of the cross is also Jesus creator of everything because he's got that kind of power. So how could this change the way that you think not only about this story, but about Jesus and about your life? So, Lord, uh, as we close today, God, would you help us to really absorb the truth that is in Scripture, Lord? For 2,000 years, we've been trying to figure this out, Lord. But I don't think that's the point, Lord. I think just being able to listen to the words that are revealing who you are, Jesus, I think that is where our hearts need to land. And, and I pray that wherever we land on the time thing, God, or wherever the details might be for us, Jesus, would you help us to see what you're actually saying. Lord, for those of us that may, that are here or watching that don't know you as Savior, Lord, would today be the day? Would today, Lord Jesus, please be the day where they understand that the one that created the world also died for their sin, Lord, and rose again, the miraculous, Lord, gave your life for mine. Lord, I could have a different life in this life, an eternal life, Lord, with you. God, would you help us to hear that and know that? And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. It's great seeing you guys. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.